Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode of The Stone Table. My name is Mickey, and I am a worship arts coordinator here at Baylife. And my name's Travis, and I'm the teaching pastor here at Baylife. And in case you can't tell from his voice, Travis is very sick. <laughs> I'm so sick. Yeah, I, I, I was really hoping it would be better by the time we had to record yeah. this, but yeah, it it started as like a runny nose, which I thought was allergies, yeah. and then it just got worse and worse and worse, and now it's true. Like I wheeze cough. Yeah, it's like a it's it's bad. I don't know how you still put up with me. Aww. I sound so gross when I cough. No, I love you, so it's okay. <laughs> Shucks. But yes, it's been it's been quite a week. We've been really busy battling uh, what might be the flu. Yeah, I don't know. Sure. I, I've kind of refused to go to the doctor. So we should have gone to the walk-in. Yeah, I've but. just been dealing with it with like, <laughs> just like Tylenol. Yeah. I don't know. I've just been taking Tylenol and drinking water. Yeah. We're okay. We're going to get better. Yeah, we'll get through this. But we are so excited for today's episode release. As you may recall from our last episode, we are moving toward releasing episodes every week. Right. Yeah. So two two interviews a month and then two sort of Mickey and Travis episodes where we... Tricky's Digest. Tricky Tricky's Digest is one of them, right? Yeah. Where we, we debrief our mm-hmm. interviews and then the other one is a theology of. So yes. today we have an interview with Chris Hall who is, gosh, I I was so excited when I found out that we were going to be able to sit down and talk with Chris Hall because I've been kind of a super fan of (laughs) his for a long time. I don't know. Can you attest to how we've got all the ancient Christian commentaries? We've got all four living wisely, learning theology, reading scripture and worshiping with the church fathers. So you could say that Chris Hall is a a household name in our yep. house. And yeah. he is an expert in the church fathers. Right. So if you're not familiar with Chris Hall, he's he's done a lot of things over the course of his life. At one point, he w- worked on staff at Eastern University, and he worked in a couple different roles. He was the chancellor. He was the provost. He was the dean of the seminary. He was the dean of the honors college. He was a professor of theology. He was the director of academic spiritual formation. So like, cool. He's done everything All these things. In, in the academy. And now he edits something called the Ancient Christian Commentary on Scripture, which I think is incredibly helpful Mm -hmm. because basically what it does is collect all of the early church's thoughts on a particular book of the Bible. So you can open up, well, we're doing this as we're going through Exodus. I have the Ancient Christian Commentary on Exodus. And every time we mm-hmm. preach a new passage, I go, well, what did Augustine think? Right. And what so did Irenaeus have, think? We have and, to get a new one. Right, exactly. Yeah. So every time we teach a new book of the Bible, we get a new ancient Christian commentary. I get a new ancient Christian commentary. <laughs> so yes. he's, he's also, like Mickey said, he's written this series of books. I call them the With the Church Fathers books yeah. because it's living wisely with the Church Fathers, learning theology with the Church Fathers, reading scripture with the Church Fathers, worshiping with the Church Fathers. And that's really what we talked to him about today yeah. is is the, the Church Fathers, these early figures and what they mean for us as Christians in the modern world. So with this interview, Mickey, what were some things that you enjoyed about it or what stood out to you? I really love the way that Chris presents the Church Fathers as still relevant today. There's so much wisdom and there's so much that we can learn from the early Christians that maybe our context has changed, but the truths have not. And so what we read from the early church fathers are, are truths that are still applicable to our lives today. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that especially because we could see Chris, because we were doing this as a video chat, mm-hmm. you can tell that he he loves this group of early Christians. Yeah. Like he is passionate about the first few centuries of the church and what we can learn from them. It's not, even though he's held all these academic jobs, this is not just like a scholarly thing for him. He's passionate about Christians learning what the first 
three to 400 years of church history can teach us. Right. And you can see that through the work that he's done and then the way that he talks about the church fathers. And so it was really valuable for us to be able to sit down with him, pick his brain, get some wisdom, and and hopefully our listeners can as well. Yeah, absolutely. My, my hope as you listen to this is that you get excited about reading some of the early great theologians of the church, the people who we've named our cats after, yeah. <laughs> um, that you get excited about it and, and you get excited to to learn your family heritage right. as a Christian. These people belong to us in Christ. Mm-hmm. These people follow Jesus before us and we have a lot to learn. So for Baylife Church, I'm Travis. And I'm Mickey. And this is The Stone Table. Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show and agreeing to sit down and have this conversation with us. I I know that my wife can attest that ever since we first started talking back in the fall, uh, I have been so unbelievably excited to have this conversation and and do this podcast. I I first kind of encountered your work through the Ancient Christian Commentary series, the work that you've done there with Thomas Oden. Right. Uh, I, yeah. I've said this before, but as I preach through books of the Bible, I sort of have like a commentary cocktail that I buy for each book. Mm-hmm. And yeah. on on that <laughs> mixture yeah. is is the ancient Christian yeah. commentary. So uh, that's that's well, kind of very encouraging. I'll, oh, yeah. I, it, it's really it's it's an amazing <clears throat> resource. And I've kind of gotten to know you through that. But I, I figure it would be great to to get to know you a little bit on a more personal level. And so I figure that maybe we start this conversation with the most important and most fundamental question about a person, which is, are you a cat or a dog person? <laughs> a cat or a dog person? Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm a dog person. Okay. okay. Cool. Yeah, I'm a dog person. I've always, uh, I just have grown up with dogs. Well, cats are nice, but they don't respond. This is true. <laughs> you're, not a, you're not a terribly large part of their life. <laughs> right. That kind of thing. So I'm a dog person. Okay, okay. I like the logic. Yeah, that makes sense. It and does. I think it's true. It, it's true. It stands to reason. We have a cat and he hates us. So <laughs> we can totally yeah. agree with that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Never had a cat. Well, consider yourself blessed. Yeah. If, if they're anything like ours. You mentioned the ancient Christian commentary on scripture, but I thought it might be interesting for uh, the folks to go to your church. Mm-hmm. Uh, here we are, a, a church that I believe you said is, is Southern Baptist in background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Southern Baptists are wonderful Bible people. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting about this commentary series you, you uh, mentioned that, that most people don't know is when we did this series that turned out to be 29 volumes Mm -hmm. of the Church Fathers commentary from Genesis through Revelation on Scripture. And we were hoping, and this is related to, I think, to your church and to your own experience. We were hoping maybe these are are big books Mm -hmm. and they're not cheap, as you know, Mm -hmm. as you know. And we were hoping, well, maybe we can sell a thousand of each volume. Yeah. So if we sell a thousand of each volume, that's twenty nine thousand books. What that would be wonderful. Yeah. And the, and the and the press itself would be happy, who took a chance to publish these volumes, because they were expensive to produce, and there was a large team producing them, and so on. Well, um, to this day, I think there's eight hundred and fifty thousand copies that have been sold. Wow. I mention that because that indicates to me why you're talking to me. Mm-hmm. You two folks, mm-hmm. uh, because you've been touched, you've been touched by the insights 
and probably insights, discernments, exegesis, whatever it might be, from these ancient Christian folks who are part of our our, our family as Christians. Mm. And uh, it's remarkable to me that this is happening. And it, it's happening amongst Southern Baptists, Pentecostal folk, uh, renewed interest among Orthodox folk, big O, mm. Orthodox folks, mm. uh, Catholic folks, right across the board, this longing to be more deeply uh, grounded in those who've come before us. Yeah. It's an encouragement. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's why we're so excited to talk to talk with you today is because of the encouragement that it's been. Yeah. Yes. Me too. Yes. So, will you please tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became a Christian, how you became interested in sure. in, in ancient uh Christianity and the church fathers? Well, I went to the <clears throat> excuse me. I went to the uh University of California. I went to to uh UCLA. Okay. In the late 60s. Well, you might be a little young, but that was a fairly lively time. It's <laughs> a, a little in, yeah. it, it, University of California and uh, a lively time for the nation as a whole. So at that time, uh, the way I came into the kingdom, there were uh, a group of us, friends of mine who were in, uh, some of them involved in athletics at UCLA, other, others who just were in our circle, uh, our circle of friends. And uh, we all came into the kingdom together. Hmm. And we came into the kingdom through uh, uh, off-campus ministry led by folks from who were formerly with, I guess it's called Crew Today, okay. uh, at that time, Campus Crusade. Mm. And uh, so that's where I heard the gospel. Uh, my first Bible teacher was Hal Lindsey. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, when I heard Hal teaching, you know, uh, bless his heart, he was able to uh, explain in a very clear way, in a very simple way to to us, just knuckleheads that didn't really know mm-hmm. <laughs> anything about God at all, you know, how, who Jesus was and how to come into relationship with Christ and so on. So later, I actually, in the early 2000s for the magazine Christianity Today, I wrote an article called What Hal Lindsey Taught Me About the Second Coming mm. and compared what Hal said with what the church fathers have taught about the second coming. Oh, wow. Okay. And I was hoping I might be, have some kind of response from how I'm not sure he would have been terribly pleased about what <laughs> I wrote. But uh, I didn't hear from him, but that illustrates the kind of journey I've been on. So, he, so here you have somebody who, um, in his earliest days, in his earliest days, my earliest days, I'm, you know, 19, 20, 21, my introduction to the Christian faith was through uh, the kind of uh, experience that most people from an evangelical background have had. Well, I guess the nickname for folks like me in those days was a Jesus freak. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, a good. Jesus freak. <laughs> yeah, Larry Norman. You know, if you know these names, the musician Larry Norman, uh, yeah. all that was going on in uh, LA at that time. That's how I came into the kingdom, mm. the wow. Jesus movement. And among other, there were strengths to the Jesus movement. So many young students during that time really clustered around UCLA and and Cal up north, uh, USC and so on, were coming into the kingdoms and and it was God's spirit at work. Mm. So, so much to uh, applaud in that movement. But there were characteristics of the movement that were uh, not all that helpful. Mm. Uh, One of them being 
just no sense of church history. Mm. Second would be uh, no real sense of the importance of the church. So low ecclesiology at best, if I could put it that way, mm. no, no ecclesiology at all on a worse day. What, what do we need the church for? We, we're in a relationship with Jesus. Let's go out and save the world. Mm. And so there, was, there were seeds planted in me at that time, and I'm very thankful for them, of the importance of a personal relationship with God, mm. the importance of the Bible. So I just, from that point on, I've studied the Bible now for 50 years, I guess it would be, uh, loving to study the Scripture. But the, the way I was taught to study the Scripture was, well, get, the, get uh, the best modern commentaries by evangelical folk, have a good library, sit down, open the text up, study Hebrew or Greek, and use those languages to enter into the scripture, find out as much about its historical context as possible, and, that, and come up with a, with a good teaching message, probably like you, in some ways, Travis, you might do it at your own church. A teaching message starts with the Bible, ends with the Bible, and give as much background as I can, open the text up for my parishioners or the people there in the congregation, make some practical applications, and on we go. But no sense, uh, really, I don't, want to, I don't want to exaggerate here, but no sense that I am not the first person reading this text. Mm. And, the, and then the modern, the modern prejudice, I'd probably call it, that if something that the if something is new, the newest commentary will be the best commentary. For instance, mm. if something's new, ipso factor from the very fact that it's new, it must be better or the best. And what I discovered uh, as my journey went on is, um, well, new's not necessarily better. Right. There so might true. be. Old, old, old folks or old perspectives that actually are more helpful. Hmm. You mentioned in your sort of background coming into Christianity through the Jesus movement that you had no sense of history. Even when you were taught to preach, you didn't have a sense that there were people who had read this, this book before you and had understood oh, yeah. before you. And there's a quote that I think you are pretty well known for as to why you're passionate about the Church Fathers. You say the Holy Spirit has a history, and so that church history matters. Could you kind of unpack right. that and explain that? One of my mentors, a man I worked with for a long time, who, when I did my doctoral work at Drew University, I first got to know Drew University up in uh, northern New Jersey, a man named Tom Oden. Mm. That's Tom's phrase, and he told me that. Oh, wow. I, okay. I, think, he, when, I, think, I think when I uh, showed up at Drew, he could see somebody, well, you know, Here's somebody who might have something to contribute <laughs> on, a, on a good day. And I remember, I remember, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Tom saying to me, the Holy Spirit has a history. That was a new experience for him in his younger days. He was a left-wing radical liberal theologian. And there was a philosopher at Drew named Will Herberg, a Jewish philosopher, actually, who said to Tom in the early 70s, you know, you might have already written 15 the books of theology, but Will went on and said fairly directly, but you'll never be a theologian until you've read the Church Fathers. Mm. And then the way that Tom would think about that experience 
I got saved reading the church fathers. Yeah. And so he, it was his understanding that had really helped me to, to see, unlike what I'd been taught up, up now at that time, 30, 40 years as a Christian, I'd been taught, well, you know, things were great in the first century. Apostles alive and well in the first century. But somehow at the end of the first century, the, the train jumped the track and thank goodness for, for John Calvin and Martin Luther and Ulrich Zwingli and company, the train jumps on back onto the track in the 16th century. So you get this huge gap, a huge gap in people's, particularly Protestant folk, evangelical folk, a huge gap in, in their understanding of what the Holy Spirit was doing. Mm -hmm. And my point is, Tom's point too, is that the Holy Spirit was working throughout that period of time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and it would be, uh, and, and I think Luther himself would, would agree with me at that point, and Calvin, that both of them very uh, well-versed in uh, the Church Fathers' uh, thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so for our listeners who are just now starting to be interested in ancient Christianity or have started taking mm -hmm. like a, a church history class who are learning more uh, about it, what would you, how would you define a church father, and what was their role in the early church? Yeah. So uh, generally speaking, a church father would be um, someone who's been recognized by the church. And in those days, you, to, to generalize, when you move back into the end of the first century, beginning of the second century, and on into the, through the fourth or fifth centuries, the church recognized that there were particularly gifted uh, people anointed by the Spirit who could be trusted, who could be trusted. Mm. And so a church father, uh, a, a sine qua non for a church father, something that was absolutely required to be recognized as that kind of leader in the church would be holiness of life. Mm. Not only holiness of life, but um, a body of work a body, largely exegetical work. The, the, these ancient Christians love the Bible as much as Southern Baptist folks. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> so, <It's> true. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, ha, someone who had left a body of work behind, or if the, if, if, if the person was still alive at that time, uh, a body of work that he could present to the community of the church, and the church as a community declares it to be within... Uh, Orthodox boundaries. So you have holiness of life, mm -hmm. a body of work left behind, mm. recognized by the community. And so that, generally speaking, a, a father of the church then would be uh, a trusted reader and interpreter of the Bible. So I was actually reflecting as I was working through your new book on um, living wisely with the church fathers. I was right. thinking about the first time I encountered the fathers mm -hmm. in general. And I don't, Mickey, have I told you this story before? I think so. Yeah. You were like on a That's, treadmill working out, listening to something. Yeah. So I, I had gotten like a Kindle for Christmas uh -huh. and I was just yeah. going through the, the Christian theology section on the Amazon store and the letters of Ignatius were 99 cents. And so I bought yeah. the, the, and it was the old translation of Ignatius and I was on this kick where I was trying to read books while I worked out. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah. I'm reading Ignatius's... I listen, I listen to books while I work out. Do you? Yeah, yeah. See, it's, yeah, it's produ yeah. productivity. It is. Yeah. 
So wow. I was reading his letter to the Ephesians as I was on the treadmill, and I actually started crying while I was run- <laughs> I was running uh, because I was yeah. I was so moved by it, and I had to turn off the treadmill and go to the bathroom and like wipe my nose and and because I I'd, yeah. I'd never read yeah. anything like it before, but I felt like I was reading the sequel to the New Testament, which in in many ways I well, was. I'm glad you mentioned I'm glad you mentioned him because those are those are wonderful letters. For folks who are listening, uh, Travis is talking about a man by the name of Ignatius of Antioch up in Syria. And uh, Ignatius was a bishop in, in uh, Antioch. The interesting thing about Ignatius is he was born probably in 35 AD. Mm-hmm. He knew, in all likelihood, knew the apostle John. Mm. So Think about that for a minute. So here you have a bishop of the church, a leader of the church, on his way to martyrdom in Rome. He's been arrested by the Roman government, and he writes these seven letters, one of which uh, Travis was referring to. And he knew the Apostle John. Why do I bring this up? Why did Travis bring it up? Well, I would think then if we have the letters of someone who knew personally an apostle, that what he says in his letters and the perspective uh, presented in his letters might well be something that we pay close attention to. So if if uh, Trap if uh, me, Travis if, if Ignatius uh, <laughs> is, is talking about God or Christ or the Holy Spirit, or the church, or martyrdom, I'm pretty sure that he's going to be reflecting well the perspective of the apostles, the last of whom have just died. Mm-hmm. The Apostle John, in all likelihood, at the end of the first century. So these old, to us, old Christian writers know the music of the gospel well. Mm. They know the music. They know the score because they live so closely to the time of the apostles. I coined a term, this one does come from me, for better or worse, <laughs> uh, hermeneutical proximity. Hermeneutical proximity. What that means, hermeneutics is a science of biblical interpretation. And my point in coining the term was, these folks lived, some of them knew the apostles. Now, God bless every modern biblical interpreter. But you can't say that about modern biblical interpreters. Right. So what I'm basically arguing in the, the work that I'm doing and have done is not that we ignore modern interpreters, but that we broaden out our perspective historically and theologically because these folks are very valuable and have uh, wondrous insights to offer us that can feed our own relationship with Christ. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that um, because we we obviously can't deny that our day-to-day realities are a whole lot different than they were 2,000 years ago. But this is something that you've studied extensively and so many people have. And so clearly there is so much value to what the church fathers uh, were producing, the their writings, their letters, there's so much that we can learn from them. So uh, what are some things that you think we could benefit now in our, in our time, in our day, 
from reflecting on the work of the the church fathers? Yeah, let me toss a let me toss a couple things out and see if we can catch a fish. Yeah. <laughs> so, for instance, um, they can teach us about God. Now that seems almost self-evident. They can teach us about God. Why would why would I say that this is important for evangelical folk? And the evangelical world is my world. Yeah. That's the world I grew up in. Um, so how can they help under, help us to understand more about God? Well, uh, Christianity Today, this magazine I mentioned earlier, is an example, contacted me about eight months ago and said, listen, we've done a survey of, I think it was of thousands of um, evangelical folk asking them various questions about God, the church, and their churches, and so on. Would you take a look, along with maybe seven or eight uh, other evangelical theologians, take a look and comment on the results of the survey? So I kind of had a bad attitude thinking, oh, this is going to be boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd, rather, I'd rather read a book, but yeah. okay, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. And so uh, I started reading through the results of the survey, and Initially, it was kind of boring, but there, there, was a, there was a section on God. And what do evangelicals think about God? How do they picture God? And as I read through uh, the questions that the surveyors, the people who produced the survey were asking, I thought, I got to one question and realized, I, I don't think it was C.T. who wrote the survey. I think it must have been I even wonder if it was a group of theologians. Who knows? Anyway, for good or evil, right. think of theologian. we're in the section on God. And we're in the section on Jesus. Who is Jesus? Is Jesus God or not? Now, this is an important question. Foundational question. It, Agreed. Yeah, it's just basic. This is basic of extreme importance. If Jesus uh, is not God, this is Athanasius, the church father, and he's right. If Jesus is not God, the whole gospel is going to blow up in our face. And uh, so the question that was posed to the survey uh, respondents was a quotation from Arius. Mm. Now, Arius is one of the great arch heretics in the history of the church because Arius argued that Jesus was not God in the same sense that the Father is God. He was an exalted creature, mm -hmm. as close to being God as anybody could be. But there was a phrase that he used, there was a time when he was not. In other words, there was a time when the Son was not. Mm -hmm. if, if such is the case, he can't possibly be God like the Father's God. He's not eternal at that right. point. Yeah. In the survey, what had happened is that these, these folks were, were bright folks, and they wanted to find out what evangelicals were thinking about God and how well they had been trained, taught. Well, to my uh, chagrin and shock, 78% of those evangelical respondents agreed with Arius. Oh, my mm. gosh. Athanasius is disappointed. Yeah, seventy-eight <laughs> percent. And I thought to myself, why would this be? Well, they haven't been taught. They haven't been taught. Arius himself was a Bible thumper. Mm. In other words, he said anybody 
who, who reads the Bible would know, would know that Jesus po couldn't possibly be God, like the Father's God. He gets anxious, he asks questions, things like this, things he doesn't know. How many loaves of fish, for example, do you have? He seems to be afraid, or surely anxious before his crucifixion. Areas, these different texts, and on the basis of the Bible itself, his, his interpretation of the Bible, mm -hmm. he said Jesus can't be God the same way as the Father is God. Well, that, the church argued about this for about 300 years. But finally, the church, it, as a community, said Arius can't possibly be right. And the church father you mentioned, Travis, Athanasius, led the way. Mm. And so that, that's the kind of thing that's a concern for me. I used to teach, uh, before I became president of uh, Renovari, the spiritual formation ministry that I'm now working full-time for, um, before I became president of Renovari, I, I taught theology and uh, biblical studies at Eastern University for 24 years. My students, almost all coming from evangelical homes, were predictably heretical when it came to the Trinity, for, mm. for instance, or when it came to the deity of Jesus. Now, these are fundamental questions. Is Jesus God? What's God like? When we say that God is triune, what do we mean by that? And the responses they would give to me were predictably heretical because they had not been exposed to the longer history of uh, their community. So what I'm arguing for, in, a, in I hope a gentle way, fairly direct, but a gentle way, is we need a lengthening of memory. volunteer with middle school ministry. And so we tackle topics and, and it's been such a joy to walk through some questions with my eighth graders. And uh, a few months ago, we did a series on the early church and apostolic fathers. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you that mm -hmm. they, they loved that. And, and it was so interesting because as we talked through Ignatius, Augustine, the, the apostles, mm -hmm. it, it brought up so many good questions and so many good yeah, discussions right. and, and so much of their understanding of their faith comes from understanding the formation of our faith. And so I'll tell you that that's been super beneficial as a small group to talk through things like that and getting really to the basics. Yeah. One of my favorite things that I actually do here at the church, and Mickey, you were a part of this, is I teach a church history class. And I very much influenced by your work spend, mm -hmm. it's a, it's like a 13 week class and I spend the first six weeks on the first 500 years of the church. Mm -hmm. So I maybe I do a disservice to the rest <laughs> of church history. Um, but every time we get to people like Ignatius and people like Athanasius and Polycarp and Tertullian and Justin Martyr and all these people, mm -hmm. everybody, everybody eats it up when I, I talk about them. But the, the problem I've run into, and I'd love your advice, is when I actually give them the letter of Ignatius to read, they say, this is so confusing. <laughs> and they, they struggle to, they love to hear about Ignatius. They struggle to read Ignatius. And so I wonder for somebody who's hearing this and they're like, oh my gosh, I would love to, to get into the early church. Do you have any reading tips to, to kind of get used to that? Yeah, there's a book by a man named uh, Boniface Ramsey called 
beginning to read the church fathers. It's a really good place to start. I wrote this book called Reading Scripture with the Church Fathers. It seems to have helped some folks. It's excellent, uh, yeah. But this, this book, um, Beginning to Read the Church Fathers, contains bibliography. When each chapter ends, he lists very accessible translations of these ancient texts. Now, these texts themselves are accessible if you know the language they're written in. But if you don't know those languages, the problem is most of the translations were made in the 19th century and the English that was used in the 19th century is not the English that we use now. So, so there's a linguistic barrier. It has to do with um, English translation. That's one of the reasons why uh, we did the ancient Christian commentary on scripture mm -hmm. is we wanted to um, present these texts in, a, in a, as accessible, readable form as possible. And then when it comes to some of the texts that you were mentioning, Justin Martyr, uh, Polycarp, whatever, there are, there are translations that are being done now. Michael Holmes, for example, has done a very readable translation of the Apostolic Fathers, and that's where you would read Polycarp and Pollock uh, in his martyrdom and so on. Uh, then we did it after the 29 volume set, we did another five volume set called Ancient Christian Doctrine, ACD. And in that we've tried to present the, some of the works that you're talking about that have to do with, with theological topics, mm. incarnation, Trinity, resurrection, so on, all based on uh, the Nicene Creed. Now I know when I mention creeds for Southern Baptist folks, that's problematic. Well, if you can t take a step beyond that and just think of a creed as something like what ancient Christian folks, in this case, the Nicene Creed, what they thought about what the Bible was teaching about Jesus and salvation and so on. You might be able to step into uh, something like the ancient Christian doctrine series and find that helpful. Gosh, Chris, we are, we're just so thankful for you being willing to share a little bit of your morning with us yes. and just to, to peel back some of the, the mystery behind these founding figures in our faith and, and point us in the direction of ways that we can engage with them a little bit more deeply. I, I guess here at the end, I would love for you to maybe just share a, a little bit about how your faith has benefited from, from reading the early church. How do you feel like the Holy Spirit has used these faithful figures as you've engaged with the church fathers to, to cause yeah, you to love and follow question. Jesus more? Yeah, good question. In at least two very significant ways for my life. I'm so thankful that my earliest Bible teachers explained to me, how do you come into a relationship with Christ? Where the, where these ancient Christians have helped me is they've, help me to move ever more deeply into the wonder and beauty of God. The wonder and beauty of the Holy Trinity so that it takes your breath away. The wonder and beauty of, of the incarnation so that my uh, comprehension is still minimal, but so that my comprehension of who Jesus is, for example. Who am I meeting in this personal relationship I have with Jesus has, has deepened over the years with, with the coaching I've received from these uh, 
members of early members of our family, every one of them still alive and well. Mm-hmm. I can see it on your two faces. Folks can't see you, but I can see it on your two faces when you talk about these folks that you've been touched by them and that your understanding of God has deepened. And then I think the second way that I think is particularly relevant for our lives today is their understanding of suffering and their understanding of martyrdom and the role of faithful witness to Christ in an age where I I do believe it's going to be ever more difficult to uh, maintain faithful witness to Jesus. Think of Polycarp, one of the great martyrs of the church. I remember your congregation, all 2,000 of them I hear, mm-hmm. uh, reading Polycarp's martyrdom will will deepen your faith. Uh, reading Ignatius's letters, another great martyr, martyr of the church, will help out. So they helped me to they've helped me to face the, the reality of uh, martyrdom as faithful witness, the role that suffering can play in a believer's life to deepen her or her or his, our relationship with God, that um, they've helped me to understand too that God's highest hope for us is not to become wealthy, comfortable people. That God's highest and, and deepest desire for us is to come to know Christ ever more deeply and that the pattern of Jesus's life is fundamentally cruciform. That's really helped me. And that's, uh, that, that's the church fathers and mothers in a nutshell, I think. thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the stone table if you were as excited about this episode as we were we would love to hear from you please be sure to rate and subscribe leave a nice comment tell your friends about us we would love to get the word out and we'd love to hear from you more directly if you've got some ideas for future episodes or questions that you'd like to tackle so if you've got anything like that and would love to reach out to us our email is the stone table at baylife.org for baylife church i'm mickey and i'm travis and this is the stone table so much for tuning in today <laughs> your face i'm trying not you're to like... look at you i'm trying because i feel like if i look at you you're gonna laugh <laughs> yeah but if you don't look at me i'm like oh he's ashamed i can't win <laughs>